There are lots of questions in the aftermath of the bombshell leak that the Supreme Court might overturn Roe v. Wade. What was the political agenda behind the leak? And why is it that the left is all of a sudden remembering what the word woman means? Plus, we'll hear from President Biden and Vice President Harris on all of this. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. I really feel like we are living through extraordinary times, especially historically speaking, with what's been happening at the Supreme Court lately. And before we even get into this whole Roe v. Wade thing, I just want to quickly mention that there was this other huge Supreme Court victory. It was unanimous for religious freedom, and it kind of escaped notice with all these other headlines. Yeah, really briefly, because you're right, it totally got washed out in the news, even though it's a big deal to have a 9-0 on anything. And this is a religious freedom case. So this was the case of Shirtlift versus the city of Boston. And bottom line was the city of Boston, apparently their city hall has a flag that they allow to be sort of rotating for people's causes. So you can put up, you know, I guess whatever flag you want. And they've allowed literally like several hundred different kinds of requests and they denied the Christian. And so, uh, you know, they claimed it would be this government endorsement of religion, but they endorse everything else through this flag. And the court actually said, no, that's ridiculous. You can't allow 248 of them or whatever it was, some absurd number, and not let this one. It's viewpoint discrimination. So that's a big deal because it just keeps reminding people to stop treating Christianity like it's some kind of toxic virus you have to stay away from because that's what these governments are are treating. You know, it's like it's its own unique class of you know, things that we can't touch. How terrible would that be if people actually might saw, saw a cross above city? You know, that used to be the way we did things. We actually yeah, used to have wonderful religious symbols all over town. But anyway. You can't just erase our Judeo-Christian heritage. It is there whether you like it or not. That is part of our history. Um, it's interesting that even the more left-wing justices apparently thought this was so over the top. That's what's great about it. I mean, if you can get Sotomayor on your side on anything right now, I mean, that's really saying you made an egregious violation of the Constitution. Well, I'm glad we have further strengthened respect for religious expression. Um, But let's go ahead and jump right into the aftermath of this earth-shaking Supreme Court League. And I just want to say right now, things are so unpredictable. We do not know what is happening this from day to day. Uh, the, the Supreme Court could put out its decision any hour now. We just don't know. But having said that, you mentioned, Victoria, when this first happened, that you were cautiously optimistic this could lead to a really incredible decision. But at the same time, you said the leak is devastating as far as the way it's undermining yet another American institution that we hold dear. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible thing. I mean, you think about the entire history of the esteemed court of the Supreme Court, even when we don't agree with it all the time, it has had this place in our democracy. And the fact that somebody violated, there's just never been an official opinion, even in draft form, leaked. So there have been rumors like, oh, so-and-so is going to retire, and you hear about that, or or they're going to come out in this direction on a case. But this is a big deal because essentially the trust that has to take place between judges where they can share drafts and have thoughts and weigh in before you get to a final decision, that's kind of been broken. And so it then also, I was sharing with, I had a BuzzFeed report asking about this exact thing. And I was sharing with her that the problem becomes that they're trying to politicize the court now. They're trying to make it sound like rather than these being great legal opinions, 
They're trying to make it sound like, oh, these are a bunch of partisan hacks. And they're throwing this opinion into the world of politics rather before it's actually an official opinion. And so it undermines people's view of the legal ruling that they're making. And that's the purpose. Yeah, that's a really great point, because one reason that we are able to trust in Supreme Court justices to an extent um, that they are unbiased in the sense that they are looking to more of an unchanging standard for the legal system that our founding fathers set up, the way that we are supposed to interpret the U.S. Constitution, which is supposed to have principles. Well, remember, these are also people who are given lifetime appointments. Why yeah. are they given lifetime appointments? Because they're not supposed to be under the whim of, oh, I could lose an election based on what I write, right? It's not supposed to be political. But right. now you've got an opinion out there. And if they change those words at all, they look like they've moved based on all this hysteria that has has happened. And so it, it makes them look like yeah. they're partisan hacks. It's really not good. It makes them look like they're just kind of what we try to avoid with a living constitution evolving day to day. Now, it makes them look like they would be evolving with day to day politics, which is why that delegitimizes a very important institution that creates stability in our society. Um, But having said all that, what are your thoughts on the political intentions of the person who leaked this? Yeah, so obviously there's an investigation to find out who did this. So we don't yet have at this point in the recording, who knows by, you know, the news the next hour, but, you know, we don't yet have for sure who this is. A lot of t- people are talking about, oh, is it Sotomayor or her own clerk because she's so sort of activist more than a typical judge. You hear her say things mm-hmm. that don't really sound as legally scholarly. But the newest theory, which I think is fascinating, is that it's actually Elizabeth Deutsch, who is Breyer's clerk. And there's a whole interesting article about why that is. So she was a a clerk who has been adamant on reproductive rights. So she's written all this stuff on reproductive rights. But more than that, her husband was a reporter at Politico with the guy that it got leaked to. And they're still friends. And you can see all this. So there's all this theory that like, this is the person that just wanted to. But the motivation would be to speed up the political reaction to try to get Congress while it is still controlled by a liberal House of Representatives and well, and basically kind of make the reaction so strong that you force them to address it with either a federal right that they would put mm-hmm. that in you're or, trying to do. or court packing, which is what you're mm-hmm. hearing people talk about. Like, can we get them to agree to put more judges on to fix this? So it's trying to provoke this to not be the final opinion, you and know, that that we'd change the law. You heard all of those proposals as if right on cue hours afterward. But I do just want to give a caveat. I guess we should be a little bit prepared. I hate to be the one to say this for the off chance that it could have been a conservative that was trying to lock it in. Stone. Lock it in. Yep. Because once it's released, like I said, if they change it, it looks political. So they're more likely to have to stick with the words that they've been. So, yes, a, a conservative would have a good reason to do that. So we don't want to, you know, always assume it's the opposite of what we believe. And we don't know yet. That's the, the yeah. whole thing. There's There's got to be an investigation. Frankly, we don't know if it's an electronic hack. I mean, you don't you don't hear about that. I think it's less likely. Yeah. But, you know, we don't know what it is, but we know that it's bad that it has happened. And we know that it has real uh, it has real repercussions on not just this case, but on future cases, because the judges have to be able to trust each other. And that's yeah. alarming. Well, it's interesting to watch this play out. And something else that's fascinating or you could say very disturbing to watch was the unhinged and even threatening, I would say, reaction of the left. Within days or even just hours after this leak, the Twitter blue checks, and in case you're not familiar with that term, that refers to people whom Twitter has deemed authentic or especially noteworthy. They have this little respected 
blue check by their name. So many of these supposedly blue check respected people immediately began calling for violence and destruction. They were saying things like, let's burn this place to the ground. I've just got a series of quotes here. Quote, I'm going to burn this entire blank country to the blank ground. Quote, it's time to burn this country and start over again, just over and over. And there were also calls for retaliation and rioting. You know, it just, um, yeah, that was disturbing to just see the escalation of that rhetoric. And I, I hate to say it, but from a spiritual level, when you think about the passion that is around this idea of killing our own children, it's really a dark, I mean, you know, you sort of watch such an amazing reaction, such a violent, aggressive reaction to this idea that we would actually value what's in the womb. I, I mean, it's 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 devastating to watch, really. I um, The other reaction that we're hearing about is that people are stocking up on the abortion pill, like they're afraid they're going to be in states. And I, I yeah. the idea that you are preparing for an unplanned pregnancy, first of all, and then second of all, that a doctor would prescribe you something in advance that we know needs doctor care. I mean, you have to have a doctor admit, like, I mean, there are there are real consequences, not just for the life of the unborn child, but even the woman. So like, just all of the reaction is just devastating. You bring up a good point about the spiritual part of it, but why are they so angry, do you think? Well, because there is a worldview difference, and the worldview is my body, my choice. I am my own God. I have total control over my destiny. No one else. There is no moral code. There is no one that should be able to tell me what to do. It is deeper than just this exact issue. It is the idea that there is a right and a wrong and an idea that— There's someone you're accountable to besides yourself. There is something deeper than just. We don't like that reminder. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And to be fair, so many women have been affected by abortion. So many women have been drawn into the deception that that's going to be a solution for them. So there's also leftover guilt that drives activism. My old neighbor who Mm -hmm. was post-abortive, who for the longest time just didn't want to face what she had done, talks about why she started. She was going to join the board of Planned Parenthood because her reaction was, I'm going to defend my bad decision. Of course, she came around, found God. Awesome story. But, you know, that's that's what we're seeing. Well, back to what you were saying about people wanting to create a federal right to abortion after if Roe v. Wade is dismantled. It certainly did not take President Biden long to jump in on that. No, he's uh, right there. And I, you know, we can always count on President Biden to say some things he's not supposed to say out loud. Well, he put out this statement calling abortion a fundamental right. He said it's a woman's right to choose um, and saying for a Roe v. Wade to be codified into law by Congress. Let's just take a listen to what he said. I just got a call saying that it's been announced that it is a real draft, but it doesn't represent who's going to vote for it yet. I hope there are not enough votes for it. It's the main reason why I worked so hard to keep Robert Bork off the court. Yeah, well, okay, so you've got Biden. He's reacting. Uh, you know, I just got the call. To be honest with you, we found that the justices knew over the weekend and were preparing for this. You wonder how many other you people knew. Wonder. I kind of feel like the president would have known. <laughs> just a thought. But, I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But also just, okay, that they don't have enough votes. It's a majority opinion draft. It's known that that's what I, I, I don't even know why like he's trying to influence. Like, yeah, I, like I hope I can peel somebody off is what it yeah. reads like. And then to actually admit, like, this is why I, you know, they call it borked, bork, you know, bork he was, borked yeah, him. He, he borked it. This is why I, you know, I was involved in the, you know, blocking of bork off the judge. So we're just going to be honest about it. it was completely a litmus test. And that was what it was all about. Even though they've always told conservatives, you can't have a pro-life litmus test. I, you know, it always frustrates me how one-sided these standards are. 
Well, I think his comments, whether intentional or not, definitely lended credence to these theories that there was a political agenda. When you got the president hours afterwards saying, well, I hope they don't have enough votes now. It also just reminded me how long President Biden has been in politics. Like, honestly, if I were him, I wouldn't be emphasizing things that say, I've been here for forever. And I'm like an institution (laughs) in and of itself. Like, that would just be me. I would not like emphasize, like, by the way, I'm kind of getting up there. Anyway, yeah. um, I know that wasn't the point, but. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. It's also interesting how, as if on cue, you then had all the other or most of the pro-abortion members of Congress immediately calling for the same thing for Roe v. Wade to be codified if it gets overturned. And or codified into federal law if it gets overturned. Um, But you had a lot of them going even further and saying that now they want the filibuster to be nuked so they can get it through even if they don't have those 60 votes. Yeah, that's the big thing, right? There's there's two ways to fix this in their minds. One is to, yes, codify it at the federal level. The second one is to court pack. So you literally take these nine justices and you make 12 and all of a sudden you don't have a 5-4 or whatever it might be. So... They're pushing the envelope, but both of those require the filibuster to be broken. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, we don't. And thankfully, we've had two Democrat senators say they aren't going to break the filibuster. Let's pray that that holds, because otherwise we do sort of have a, you know, unprecedented. We're just going to do whatever it takes to get to the to the ends that we need. Yes. And they will have tremendous pressure on them. So definitely a matter of prayer. You know, one thing that's ironic is. My understanding, this federal law that they're calling for to recreate Roe v. Wade in the, in the law, it would essentially, my understanding is, take the choice away from states because then it would not be allowing the states to have freedom yeah, um, to ha- make their own laws. Yeah, right? it would so, absolutely usurp the authority of the state to set their own parameters around respecting human life. Um, and the other thing pe- people might not know, in Virginia, we had this effort. So um, just so you know, as soon as Governor Yunkin was elected and they knew the House of Delegates won, there was a call for a special session. There were people out there saying, we need to rush our legislature in, that Northam, before he leaves office, should bring these guys in in order to put a statute in our code codifying the right to abortion. Thankfully, Senator Sasson and others were like, this isn't like, we're not going to do this. This is unprecedented. But that's a desperation around abortion, yeah. both at the federal level and the state level. But the the whole reason Roe v. Wade has been shaky from the beginning is because it took away the power of states to weigh into this. It, it was federalizing it, um, a government overreach. And, you know, they're talking about choice all the time while talking about taking away the choice of millions of, Amer- of Americans. So I personally just struggle with the logic of that. Well, and you see how different a red state from a blue state is in this yeah. moment. You've got a total ban about to be in effect in certain states, and they're happy about it, red yeah, states, yeah. and you've got California. So, you know, gonna, I'm going to fly you here. I'm going to pay for your abortion. Like, come, we'll be mm-hmm. the abortion. So clearly there's a division in our nation, and so s- sort of at the state's yeah. rights level might be the place at this moment in time that that needs to happen. Well, there's no question this is a weighty moment in our history with not only millions of babies' lives literally at stake, but also the future of the Supreme Court's respectability. Um, But there's a small silver lining in all of this. If you happen to notice, in the eagerness to defend Roe v. Wade, all of a sudden leftists remembered what the definition of woman is. Yeah, 
I know we're, I mean, I can't. Okay. I just, I know that everybody on our side of this sort of ideology just realizes the hypocrisy, but when you see it so upfront, right? So in one sense, we've got all this push on transgender individuals and we need to focus on the fact that, you know, and we've got a Supreme Court justice that doesn't know now, you know, about to be on the court that doesn't know what a woman is. And yet you've got the Biden administration, you've got Kamala Harris actually right up there saying, Women's rights, women's rights, but they don't know what the definition of women is. And the, uh, let me just put it this way. It sounds ridiculous to speak out of both sides of your mouth like, you know, that there are no women, that everybody can be pregnant, blah, 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 and then demand women's rights. Well, not only that, but the Biden administration has all this time been taking a lot of flack from moms for replacing the word mother or mom with the word birthing people in important federal documents like the budget proposal and now all of a sudden, they're back to talking about women again. Let's just listen to Vice President Kamala Harris on that one. How dare they? How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? Isn't that amazing? They are back to championing women's rights when it seems like just seconds before almost, they were basically eradicating women right out of the federal documents. Well, okay, just to summarize all that we've been talking about, I think we can all agree it really is just surreal, incredible to think that after 50 years of Roe v. Wade, it can just all of a sudden like that be overturned. Who would have thought we would see the day? And it really wasn't all of a sudden like that. We have been working toward this and praying for, you know, decades. Yeah. Without a doubt. And I mean, just personally to think about, I got into this work for this moment. So it's a it's an amazing thing for people. And there are people that have been in a lot longer than I have, more than decades. And so I think we're finally there. And and we hope this will be the final opinion and we'll be able to really rejoice, you know, when that happens. And of course, it does make it turns it back to the states and it will make the things that we do here in Virginia even more impactful for the issue of life, because now we can actually set a culture for life in our Commonwealth if we can get the populace and the elected body to do so. Okay, Victoria, what is next for Virginia? If this is dismantled, what's going to happen next? Well, you'll see the fevered pitch that you're starting to see on the news with the riots and the rallies and all these things. You know, you're going you're to have people that are really even more amped up over this issue, but it, it goes straight back into our legislature. We will see the kinds of bills we've seen before, but there'll be more passion around it because we can actually regulate abortion without any concern about running into the court. But we'll also see it play out at the election, you know, at the yeah. elections, you know, there's going to continue to be a leading issue. I don't think it will trump the economy and other things that are top of people's mind when we actually get to this November, but it will be present when people go to vote. Okay, so that means first in January, when the General Assembly starts up again, we will have a chance to get the Born Alive um, bill through again, where we are saying that infants that have survived an abortion or just laying on the delivery table, um, it, is, is, it is their human right to receive medical care. That should be done. Um, then we also have a chance for things like the pain-capable bill that the governor endorsed. Um, so that would happen in the General Assembly. And then in 2023, the delegates and the senators are up for election again. Yes. Right? So we can absolutely put a majority of pro-life legislators on both sides. And then we already have a pro-life governor. So that's where you really have a clear path to really get to the heart of how do we as a culture respect human life from its earliest moments. Well, we still have the Senate hanging by one vote on these key pro-life bills. 
Do you think we can get that one vote this time? I sure would love to think so. You know, all brand new districts. So it's a wild west of an election because nobody's in their same district because we've redrawn the lines and it's kind of a, a crazy situation. But I'd like to believe that we could get a majority of 40 senators that represent Virginia to actually go ahead and be those who would vote in honor of the unborn that would that would absolutely, you know, when it, the rubber meets the road, create public policy that protects them. And that those one or two senators that it could come down to are going to have tremendous pressure on all sides. So um, this is a matter of prayer for everyone listening. And also it gets back to your point that you made, I think, on a previous show, that now is not the time where we can sit back. You know, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, unfortunately, we can't just um, kick up our heels and say we're done. Um, Now is the time we're going to need more courage than ever before. We need your voices. We need you to be seen at the Capitol as people that care about life. We cannot afford for our representatives to not get that message. Well, Catherine, you've been listening to all of this. What is your heart for how your generation needs to get involved in this right now? You know, I think it's just so encouraging that so many young people are involved. Like you think about Um, You know, students for life, their whole chant is we are the pro-life generation. And so I think it's encouraging to see that. Um, But obviously, we still have a lot of work to do. You know, my news feed has been filled with people saying things like if you have fewer abortion or fewer abortion restrictions, so abortions are more easily accessible, then your maternal mortality rate goes down because they're not carrying their child to term, so they can't die in childbirth. That kind of logic just doesn't make any sense. So we still have so much work to do, but like there's so much encouragement too to like know that what we and you know generations before us have been working for has shown at least some fruit. You know, it's interesting to think about what is the world going to look like post-Roe for your generation because you guys are the ones that are going to have to move this banner forward. It's going to be on your watch after this. That's a little terrifying, to be honest. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we're some of the first generation that got to see 40 ultrasounds. You know, we're some of the first generation that got to see baby viability rate get so younger and younger and younger. And so I think we're just going to keep fighting for that, um, keep advocating that life begins at conception, you know, keep fighting the abortion pill, because I'm sure that will just take off. Yeah, it's going to move into that chemical abortion. <laughs> um, which is heartbreaking. Um, but I think I think there's a lot of hope since, you know, we we know that that child is a child. Like, there's no questioning because you can literally see it. You feel like that's more clear for your generation? Yeah. Yeah. That does give one hope. Well, on that note, we'll close out there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.